Let me ask you a question. How many of you have ever done ceramics? You ever made ceramics? My wife's got her hand up. And Oh, guys, where have you been? You ever done ceramics? When we first came to Texas, this was back in the early 80s, one of the jobs that Deb got involved in was through a woman at the church that we were attending at that time who had a ceramics company and uh, made high-end ceramics for for these specialty shops. She did. She had molds that nobody else had. She had them specially made and did things like lamps and figurines like centerpieces and things. And she was quite the artist. And Deb sometimes would bring some of it home and I'd help her. We'd work on it and uh, so forth. And I was in seminary at the time. And if you don't know anything about ceramics, let me take a moment to explain it to you because this is going to fit into the message that I'm uh, talking about today. They'll take a mold, a special mold, and they'll pour the ceramic solution in there. And when it's cured, they'll pull the mold off. And whenever that happens, it's called greenware because it's real soft and real fragile. hasn't been fired yet, so it can break very easily. But it's in that stage that you do all of the fine detail work, like getting all of the mold marks off of it and scraping things off and filling in air bubbles and taking a wet sponge and going over it to smooth it out, all of the things that would make it perfectly smooth without any blemishes or defects. Then it goes back into the, or back into the kiln, um, and it's fired at a very high heat and cured, and it becomes very brittle and hard at that point, turns white. You bring it out, and then at that point it goes to the painters, and the painters are the people that paint the base coat on it. Um, Benita was the lady that Deborah worked for in her shop, and Benita would tell them, you paint this portion of it this color, this portion this color, just the basic big portions of it in the base coat and so forth. And then somebody would come along, usually it was Benita, and she had a few people that would help her, to do the fine detail painting, and that's where the thing really becomes uh, a work of art. She would do all of the detail work on it and make it look like what it was supposed to look like. Now, in her mind, she already knew what that was going to be. You could take a beautiful swan, and it's going to be a centerpiece on a table, and she would get done with it, and it would just take on a life of its own. And just a remarkable artist that she was. And she would sign them, and they became sort of collector items whenever she was in business. And then they paint it with a glaze that is the final thing that kind of makes it all come together. And then back into the fire it goes, and it's heated at the high temperature, and when it comes out, there it is, the finished product. Now, in her shop, in any one given time, there were all of these racks in the shop. And on those racks, you might find some that are still in the mold that have just been poured. You would also find some that are in the greenware stage, haven't been cleaned yet. Others will have just been fired, and they're sitting up there ready for somebody to put the base coat of paint on it. Others have already been painted and waiting on Benita or someone else to come along and do the fine detail work on it. But at any rate, they're there in all stages of, of life. Some have been glazed, some have been fired, some have been are waiting, and they're all there. Now, as you think about that, you need to understand that um, in her mind, even though you and I couldn't see it, she could already see the finished product. She knew what that swan was going to look like or that lamp. She knew exactly the colors that she was going to put on it and what she was going to do with it. And it's really like, it reminds me of the Christian life. And here's what I mean by that. Each one of us is a work in progress. 
we are a work that God is working on, that God already knows what that finished product is going to look like, but you and I may not. And at any given time, if you were to look within a church, let's say an, a local church, and this is true of all Christians everywhere, but just take a local church, you're going to find some people that are still in the mold stage of their spiritual walk. Some are greenware. They're young. They need to have the edges whittled off and scraped down and uh, smoothed out. Others are going through the fire right now. Others are in the painting stage and their life is beginning to take shape and their spiritual life and beginning to show signs of maturity. Others have been fine, the fine detail work has taken place and their lives are a spiritual work of art in the sense that they are growing and loving the Lord and serving Him faithfully and so forth. All of the different stages of a Christian's life would be here in a room like this if we were the rack, so to speak, that the ceramic pieces we're sitting on and just like in a, a ceramic shop and all of the pieces are gathered there on the rack what would you know it would be very odd for the the one that's in the green stage and waiting to be cleaned to look down the rack there and to see one that's already been painted and say isn't that beautiful why why am i not like that one yet you know or to look down the rack and see one that's already had been detailed out and, and everybody knows exactly what that one looks like and what it's going to be after it's completely finished. And you think to yourself, well, why couldn't I be that one? And why hasn't that happened yet? Because, you know, where's God in all this? Has God just forgotten me? And it's like I've been stuck in this spiritual position and I haven't moved and Maybe God has forgotten about me, or maybe God's mad at me, or maybe God has just flat forsaken me because of something going on in my life. Whatever it may be, I've seen this happen time after time, that as believers, we begin to question God's involvement in our lives and His love for us and His devotion to us and what He's going to do with us. And we look at our lives and we think, man, what a train wreck. And God surely couldn't or wouldn't want to do anything with a life like this. And more and more often than not, you know, you, you talk to people and, and that's the idea that, that you come across, that it comes across is because that's what they're feeling. And guys, let me tell you, because this is what we're going to be talking about today, that no one is a finished product yet. And now you won't really be completely finished until you go into glory, and we're going to talk about that in a moment. But some are very mature, and some are pretty polished and finished as far as their faith and their walk with the Lord and so forth. Um, and even then, they'll slip back and forth in that, that condition, um, spiritually speaking. But nobody is really a failure because God is still dealing with you, and God is still working on you. And God has not given up on you, no matter what you may think, and you're not unloved, and you're not worthless, no matter what you believe about yourself. I'm convinced that one of the biggest detriments and roadblocks to a Christian becoming a mature believer and growing in their faith is this feeling of worthlessness, this feeling of failure, this feeling of, well, my sin, if anybody knew, would, would just devastate me, and the fact that I, I'm aware of it, God knows about it, and God is probably as disgusted with me as I am. Now, we can talk about God's chastening and God dealing with your sinful behavior. and That's a whole other topic. 
But I want you to understand that even that is involved in God's process of cutting and shaping and molding and painting and refining your life. And when I tell you that God isn't finished with you, I want that to be an encouragement to you to move on and to stop feeling defeated and stop feeling like a failure and stop just sitting there waiting for the end or waiting for something to happen to you and to understand that you are a work in progress and God has not finished with you yet. I want to read you a verse. This verse is one that I've shared with you about every other Sunday, I think, in some form or fashion, because I think that it's an important verse. It's in Philippians chapter 1, in verse 6. Paul's speaking, and he says, Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Now, I want you to look at the verse, okay? We're going to pick it apart for a moment. I want you to understand, let's start back at the end here, that it's saying that this is going to go on to completion. That God has begun a good work and he's going to carry it on to the end, even until the day of Christ Jesus' return. Now please understand this. Whenever you are a finished product and finally in all of your glory, you are home with him. That's when it takes place. But prior to that, you are in constant change. God is constantly molding and shaping and cutting and bringing you to the point of maturity. Always. And I want you to understand what the verse is saying because he's carrying this on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And he has begun a good work in you. Now what is the good work? Well, it's the good work of shaping you and molding you into what God has already preordained that you're going to be. And I want you to understand that this is a reality, that this is true, because he says in the very beginning of this verse, being confident of this. You and I need to be confident of this. You understand what he's saying? See, as long as you're wishy-washy and you don't understand this or you have second thoughts or questions about it, then it's going to affect your life. It's going to affect your drive, your motivation, your love for God, your, your desire to move on. You're just going to sit there and feel sorry for yourself and do nothing. You have to be confident that God is doing this and that you're involved in it and that it's going to continue on because God says, I will not stop until we get to the end. I will continually work on you. Your sins cannot stop it. You understand that? That even in the chastening hand of God, God is cutting on you and shaping you. That's part of the plan. Your failures cannot stop it. Nothing can change it or stop it because God won't stop. And that's what you really need to understand. God will not stop. And this is what he's trying to get you to see. Today I want to encourage you with that truth and I also want to take a little time and talk to you about how you ought to be responding to that truth because that's important, that we respond to that truth in a proper way. But I want to jump into this and I want to take you to a passage And you may be thinking, well, how does this passage fit? Well, this passage tells you what God thinks of you, what God has already done for you, and why it is you've got to get past this feeling of worthlessness and failure. Because that's not how God sees you. Here's the passage. Let me read it for you, then I'm going to take and pick it apart for a moment. Okay, it's in Romans chapter 8. Verses 28 through 30, and this is a a passage all of you have heard before. We've preached on it from time to time. But I want you to understand, as we go into this, 
you're going to see in this passage, these three verses, you're going to see five verbs that we're going to focus on. Five things that Paul says are true about what God has done. And all five of them are in the past tense. Now keep this in mind because this is important. These are things that God has already done. And this is important that you grasp this because this is going to affect the way that you feel about yourself and your relationship to God. So let me read this. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, so that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. Now, if you're a good English student, you've already picked up the five verbs that are in there that we're going to talk about. But I want to begin with verse 28 and talk about that for a moment before we jump into this. In verse 28, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Now let's look at that, okay? First of all, let's jump to the end of the verse. Who have been called according to his purpose. Do you understand that when it comes to your life, that God already has a purpose for you? It is a purpose that has already been preordained. God, in God's mind, it is something that he has already decided. And what he is doing with you, he has already begun, and it is his purpose. Now, see, we, we, we think about our, our lives, we think, well, why did you make me this way, God? Why did you do this in my life? Why did you allow that? All of these things, questions we have, and there's only one answer. And I can't even explain it to you that well, but the answer is because God had a purpose. God had a purpose, and I don't know what it is. But in the mind of God, he did. He knew what it was. The next thing I want you to see as we go back into this verse, verse 28, it says that God works for the good of those who love him. Now, what is this talking about? Because we misunderstand this verse a lot of times. We read this as though God is working to bring about good things in my life. Not only is the verse not saying that, that's not necessarily biblical. God does bring good things. God blesses. But God also said, in this life you're going to have trouble. In this life you're going to have trials. In this life people are going to hate you and want to kill you and and everything else. And so you need to understand that what he's saying here is not that. What he is talking about is the good work that God has begun, that he's going to carry on, that he's not going to stop with, the good work of molding you and shaping you and designing you into something beautiful for his purpose. Christian maturity, that's what he's talking about. He began the good work. He is is always working to bring about the good, the good work, the same thing. And it's God doing it. Now, I want you to understand now in verse 28, the first part of it. And we know that in all things, God works for the good. All things. Now, guys, this is tough to swallow, okay? Because we look at our lives and we think to ourselves, you don't understand, Pastor, what I've gone through. That I've gone through grief like nobody can imagine. I've gone through hard times. I've gone through difficult situations. You can list all of the horrible things that have happened in your lives. 
And yet we come back to this verse and God says, I, will, I am working in all things to bring about the good thing in your life that I want. And that is that you are going to be mature in your faith. And I will carry this on because this is my purpose for you. So many questions, so many things I don't understand and cannot explain, but I believe it because God said it. Now, I want you to see in these next two verses these five things that have already happened and why they're significant in you understanding who you are and you understanding what God is doing. Okay? So let's watch. Let's look at these. In verse 29, he says, For those God foreknew, he also predestined. Let's just stop there. For those that God foreknew. Here's the first one. God foreknew you. That means that he knew you before you ever came into being. He foreknew you. Man, these, see, stuff like this is so difficult to understand because our human minds think in, in linear terms of time. We, we can't grasp a God who somehow is separated from linear time and exists at all places at all times and for him to tell me that before the world was ever created that he knew who I was, I can't fathom that. But yet the Bible teaches, because before the world was ever created, the Bible tells us, God knew exactly who you were. He knew when you would be born. He knew the situation of your childhood. He knew what you were going to go through in life. He knew the trials and the tribulations you would go through and the heartache and the pain. And he knew the joys and the good times and all the great things that happened in your life. God knew them. And he took all and he pulled them together to make you into who you are today. He knew everything about you. Please understand this because, see, we fall into things, whether it be sinful practices or just laziness or just sitting down doing nothing, and we think that somehow, somehow we have sprung a surprise on God and that God now doesn't care for us anymore. And God foreknew you before you were ever born, and He knew the sin in your life. He knew the mistakes and the failures and all the things that you're going to go through. He already knew it. And He still loves you. He chose to love you anyway. That's the remarkable thing. But guys, this should encourage you and me. Because we're always going to go through the ups and downs of the Christian life. Sometimes we walk with God closely and we, we are fruitful and, and everything goes great. And sometimes it just doesn't. Sometimes we fall into sin and we do things we shouldn't do. And we're ashamed of ourselves and we question why God could even love us. And God says, I foreknew all of that anyway. And I still loved you. You're not going to surprise me. You see, that brings me great comfort. To think to myself that no matter what you do, Dave, you're not going to surprise God. So if that's the case, then why would I ever think that he wouldn't love me? Here's the next word of the verb that I want you to see, and that is this. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. All right, predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. All right, now, this is not a, a, a sermon on predestination and election. That's a whole other topic. As you read this verse, please don't cut it short, because if you do, it changes everything. 
He predestined you to be conformed to the image of His Son. That's the predestination. That God foreknew you. He knew everything about you. He even foresaw and knew the exact moment in time that you would come to Him by faith. And God has predetermined or predestined that you, along with every other believer, is then set on a path that good work, you see. That he's going to work the rest of your life to conform you to the image of Christ. And like we've already seen, that takes in and involves everything in your life. Everything. All things. God in his purpose has put his hand on you and you are saved and you are heading to heaven, but in the process of getting there, God has predetermined that he's going to conform you, whether you like it or not, to the image of his Son. Does that sound like God rejecting you? Does that sound like a God that has turned his back on you? Let me read you a couple of verses just to kind of give you some insight into that. In Ephesians, there's a verse where Paul talks about that God gave to the church certain people, um, prophets and uh, apostles and evangelists and pastors and teachers for the purpose of helping people to grow in their faith, to build the church. But then he comes to verse 13. Here's what he says, and he continues that thought. He says, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Now, notice what he's saying here. He said, God has put into the church different people that are gifted to help you in this process of growing in your faith, okay? And it's going to continue, he says here, until you become mature. Well, do you ever get there? Well, you get pretty close. In other words, you're not going to be perfect till you get home. But you can look yourself among believers and you say, yeah, that guy or that woman, they are mature in their faith. They walk with the Lord. They trust the Lord. They're righteous people where others may be struggling. Maybe they're the greenware, you see. But he says here, until we become, until, until we reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God. You know what that is? That's saying this, that God is working to bring the church to the point of unity in what they believe. That they believe the doctrine of the scriptures and they are in agreement on the doctrine of the scriptures. They have come to the conclusion the Bible is correct and they believe it with all their heart. And they have come now to uh, unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God. In other words, he's talking about maturity. He even says that, and become mature attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. I want you to attain, he says, this level of maturity where you have attained everything that God wants you, the full measure of Christ, what he wants you to know and to experience. In Galatians chapter 4, verse 19, it says this, My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Now, you know the book of Galatians. You know Paul wrote this to an immature church, just scathing them because of what they were doing. And he says, you're my dear children. You're believers. And he says, I'm having to go back now, and it's like a mother giving birth again. He said, I want 
to continue to help you until Christ is formed in you again, until you have reached maturity or are moving along faithfully. That's what God predestined you for. God determined that before the foundation of the world, that you would be involved in that process. And you can't get out of it. This is what I want you to see. You don't get a choice. Because even in your rebellion, God still works. And God still uses it. But let's go on. He says, For those that God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. And those he predestined, it says in verse 30, he also called. He also called them. Now, now please understand this, okay? God foreknew you. He predestined you that he knew that you were going to come to faith and he said you're going to be on this road that I've got you on. I've predestined you for this. He said, but here's the thing. I called you at a time. My Holy Spirit invaded your life and changed you. Created with you the hunger, the desire to know me. I called you. The Bible says that no man comes to the Father unless the Holy Spirit calls him or draws him. Nobody does. You just don't up and decide to do this one day. The Spirit of God is drawing you. You have certain thoughts like, that sounds true. That makes sense. I desire this. I want this. And then you make a decision to put your faith in it and trust him. That's God calling you. Here again, I don't understand it completely. But every one of you that have put your faith in Christ, you are here in this spiritual place, in this condition of faith in Christ, because the Holy Spirit drew you to Christ. Does that sound like a God that would reject you if you don't have your act together? Does that sound like a God that would turn his back on you if you fail? But then he goes on in verse 30. He says, that those that he predestined, he also called, and those he called, he also justified. Now, we've talked about that word many times. What does it mean? It means simply to declare you righteous, to declare you righteous. Now, here's how justification works. God sent his son, Jesus Christ, who died on a cross to pay for your sins, and when you put your faith in that payment and receive it and trust it and believe it, that God then declares you righteous, not because you are, but because Christ was. Christ's righteousness is given to you, and he takes your sin. That's the great, you know, uh, transition there, transfer. You transferred your sin to him, he transfers his righteousness to you. Does that mean that you are now living a righteous life? Not necessarily, because we still struggle in this human form. But what it does mean is that God the Father sees the righteousness of Christ in you. Doesn't matter about what's really happening in your life at any given moment. He has declared you righteous. Folks, if it depended on our righteousness, we would never make it. Do you understand that? We would never, ever make it if it depended on me becoming a righteous person. But this is why we praise God and sing hallelujah because we understand that I'm not and you're not, but God is and God declared me to be so. That's justification. Why would God justify me knowing that I might rebel, knowing that I might fail, knowing that I might sin? Why would God justify me? Because I'm worth it? No, 
Because Jesus was. Because Jesus paid your price. It's your only claim to fame here. Mine too. That's why we rejoice. Because Jesus died in our place. And God has now justified you. Now keep in mind the question, okay? If that is the case, and I have been justified in the eyes of God, I've been declared righteous, does that sound like a God that would quickly turn his back on me? He already knew me. He already knew what I was like. He already knew what I would do and what I wouldn't do, and yet he justified me all the same. Craziness. Here's the last one. Because it says that he also justified, and those he justified, he also glorified. Wow, what does that mean, Pastor? That he already has glorified us. Well, let's look at this. There is a verse that I want to show you, and it kind of kind of narrows it down as to what this is talking about. A, whole, a totally different verse. It doesn't even relate to what we're talking about. But just let me show you what it says. It's in John chapter 7, verse 39. And in this, John is talking about the Holy Spirit. Now listen to what he says. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. Well, there's that term. What is he saying? He's saying Jesus had not yet been glorified, so the Spirit hadn't come yet. Well, what does glorified mean? What was he talking about? He was talking about two things. The resurrection, and then 40 days later, the ascension. In other words, the, the resurrection glorified him, but the Spirit didn't come until he ascended into heaven. So technically speaking, he's talking about the ascension. His entrance into heaven, now the Spirit would come. Jesus told him that. He said, look, guys, he said, the Comforter isn't going to come until I'm gone. And until he ascended into heaven, the Spirit wouldn't come, or couldn't come, and, and indwell us is what I'm talking about. So the glorification of Christ was his ascension into heaven. Now let's back up because I want to read this passage in Romans again, this last part. It says, those he called, he also justified, and those he justified, he also glorified. Oh my goodness, now don't you miss this, okay? This is past tense, past tense, back before the ages or the world was ever created in ages way back there. In the mind of God, he did all five of these things. All of them. And he glorified you. What does that mean? It means that right now, in the mind of God, you are already there. You're already home. Oh my gosh. He knew me. And he predestined that I would be this on this process of maturity. And then he called me, and then he justified me, and then he glorified me, all before I was ever even thought of. Yeah. Whoa. Now I ask you, if God did all of this for you, does it sound like God would just throw you away and say, I'm finished with you? Because if you can't get it together and act like I want you to do and do the things I tell you to do, I'm just done with you. Does it sound like God would do that? He can't. He already knows you're there. 
I don't know how that works. I don't, you, know, you just have to understand that God's, God is not part of linear time. He can't be. So therefore, he looks at this life as a blip, already knowing the end, and he says, you're already there. You're already home. Now, what do we learn from this? Well, a couple of things. Let me just share with you two things that kind of summarize what we're talking about. Number one, that God has laid claim to you, and he will never let you go. He has laid claim to you, and he will never, ever let you go. You've got to believe that. You have got to believe that. Here's the second thing. That God is always working to change you. Whether you understand it, whether you feel it, this is a matter of faith. That I believe and understand that God is always working in my life to change me and to transform me into Christ, what he is like, Christ's likeness. So then the question is this, how do I respond? How do I respond? Well, very quickly, let me show you. Here's four things I've written down that you and I should respond this way. Number one is trust. We've got to believe. We've, we've got to trust him. I've got to understand that God is working on me, and I've got to believe it, and I've got to believe that he will never leave me or forsake me no matter what I do in life because that's not his plan. That's not his purpose. And so I trust him. Number two, I need to submit. I need to submit. Too many of us, we go through hard times in life, we go through dangerous situations, we go through life-threatening situations, we go through grief where we have lost people, and we are very quick to turn our back on God because God didn't do what I wanted him to do. And you've got to understand, if God has placed you according to his purpose at this point in time in your life, you've got to submit to it. You've got to believe him, trust him, and give in, surrender. That God, no matter what happens, you are God. And I believe with all my heart that you are transforming my life. And I'll trust you. Number three is this. You need to do your part. If I'm on a road to transformation and if I am growing in my faith and God is changing me and molding me, then I've got to understand that when the Spirit commands or directs me to do something, I need to obey if this is part of God's plan to mold me, then I've got to take some risks. I can't sit back and say, well, I can't do that. I'm afraid to take the risk. Because God says growing involves risk. And I've got to step out of the comfort zone and do things I've never wanted to do or never thought I could do before. And so you step out in faith and you may succeed or you may fail. But in that, God has taken all things and now he has shaped you a little more. He's cut off some rough edges and done some refining. But if you sit back like so many people do in churches, and they don't ever get involved or they don't ever take risks, they don't ever do anything, how can you grow? How? God isn't abandoning you. He won't leave you. But he'll sit there and wait. When will you step up? When will you take some risks? When will you get involved? Lastly is this, that we need to praise him anyway. We praise him anyway. In other words, we may be mad at him because something happened. We do that as human beings. We're disappointed or disillusioned. 
when you run through this process of knowing who you are and what he's done and what he's doing in your life, you've basically got to come to the point where you just give in and you praise him. We're told in Scripture numerous times to praise him even when we don't feel like it. Because I know that my God has the end product in mind. I may not know it, what it is, and what lies ahead, but God does. And you and I need to praise him for that. If you're here and you've never put your faith in Christ, what are you waiting for? Is the Spirit of God calling you? Is the Spirit of God tugging at your heart and trying to say to you, listen, this is real, this is true? What are you fighting? Stop fighting and give in. You turn to God in faith and you say to to the Lord, and only the Lord knows your heart, Lord, I believe. I don't understand it all, but I believe it, that you died on the cross for me and that you rose from the dead. And that, Lord, by doing that, by trusting in you, I am now your child. But again, it takes an act on your will, of your will. It takes an act of you saying and choosing and reaching out and taking hold by faith of the price, the payment that Christ has made for you. Will you do it? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes as we close the service. Just right there where you sit, nobody knows what you're doing. Nobody knows what you're thinking but God. Do business with him. Reach out and believe. Reach out and take it. Claim it. It's yours. By faith, be saved. Our Heavenly Father, we bow here in your presence, Lord. We are reminded from the scriptures just how much you have done for us, how much you love us. And Father, we praise you anyway even when things may not be going well for us, Father, we praise you. Because we know that you have predestined us to a plan of maturity that you're working out in our lives. And we trust you with that. And Father, we know that someday we will be with you because you have said it. You have told us that. And in your mind, we're already there. And Father, we know that what you know and what you have claimed to be true can never be changed. For that we are grateful. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.